0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Flutie Flakes cast. I'm Doug Flutie. I think as most of you might realize or know, I am a New England area guy, a Boston fan, true to all the way down to the Patriots, the Red Sox, the Celtics, the Bruins, and anyone else that plays anywhere north of Maybe Waterbury, Connecticut, anything north of there. No, I'm and I'm a big fan. So anyway, my Boston Red Sox are making a run. It was so much fun to watch. Uh, a team that I did not have high expectations for, uh, especially coming down the wire. The Yankees sweep three straight games, embarrass the Red Sox. Then they go down, they go over to Baltimore and lose two games to Baltimore in a row and look like they're not even going to make the playoffs. And then salvaging the last game of the season, a big win against the Nationals coming from behind to get a little momentum, just to, to gain the number one wildcard spot and to get, get to the playoffs. And I'm thinking, here come the Yankees again. Stanton's hitting home runs left and right. The Yankees are raking. It's just going to be a, an annihilation. It's one of these 15 to one games, and we go packing and go home. Not a lot of high expectation. And Son of a gun, if the Red Sox don't just start hammering the ball and and hit a bunch of home runs and and beat the Yankees, get by them. So I'm thinking, okay, this is fun. That's okay. We beat the Yankees, but now we got to play the Rays, 105 wins, blah, 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 best team in the AL East all year long. This will end in a hurry and we'll go home, but at least we beat the Yankees. Unbelievable run for the Red Sox, winning three straight against Tampa Bay, hitting the ball. Uh, Alex Corr, as a manager, being there before, recognizing Chris Sale was struggling, pulls him out after only three outs of a start uh, to give his team a chance. Guys stepping up. Uh, Vasquez hitting a 13th inning home run to, to walk off. And then again with a big base hit, which was, and it turned into the winning run in the game. Uh, it just seems like things are falling in place now for the Red Sox. It's so much fun. And everybody knows when, when it's your hometown and your team is in the mix and playing well and things are falling together and you had these emotional wins, it, you know, I, I'm a professional athlete. I was a professional athlete. I'm kind of not bitter towards professional sports, but kind of had enough. I just watched the game. I'm not quite as passionate about it. I'm not the fan, the fanatical fan. And for some reason with the Red Sox, even though the names change every year, guys turn over, they bring in new people. I'm still a baseball fan. I still enjoy it. Maybe uh, I'm not as tainted come for baseball as I was for football after all those years, but it's so much fun to watch. And it's fun to sometimes just be a fan and, and get back and go through all those emotions and, and, and care. Uh, so it, it was a, you know, from the Boston area, uh, congratulations and, and moving on. On the NFL front this weekend, Looking around uh, two of the highlighted games, the Monday night game, the Sunday night game, uh, a couple of quarterbacks that just stand out. Josh Allen, number one with Buffalo. Josh Allen has come of age. I'll tell you, I thought last year he played great. He was inconsistent. First couple of years last year, it took it to a whole nother level played great. And I've said this before come playoffs. He didn't play his best football, but still made that competitive and they had a chance at a run this year. Josh Allen looks so comfortable, big guy that runs the ball tough, but can stand there and throw the football. He had a lot of time to throw the ball, but he looked to me like a Tom Brady standing in pocket, almost flat-footed, looking, surveying the field and delivering downfield throws. Then when he moved out of the pocket, he had one rolling to the right. That was on a dead run to the right towards the sideline, throws it downfield and, and completes a big ball to uh, Dawson Knox down the right sideline uh, on a dead run. And then on third and three quarterback runs. Now, we all know there's athletic quarterbacks out there, whether it's Mahomes, Jackson, you name it, guys that, you know, you're afraid of the quarterback run. You really think that way, Josh Allen, even though, you know, he he gets his yards, he gets tough yards. They run him in the red zone. They run him in third down situations. They run and there's no hesitation. He's really playing with unbelievable confidence right now. I, I see there's like no indecisiveness in his decision making. When he sees something, he goes. Uh, there was a third down play late in the game where he ran for a first down. It was about a 10 yard run or so, but uh, maybe a jet sweep faked it. It was must have been a read situation because he just saw a gap north and south, took it and bolted up through there for an easy first down. And if he, if he delayed at all, the defense fan would have collapsed on him, made the tackle at the line of scrimmage. But he just he's, he's really sure in what he's seeing. He obviously is deciphering defense as well. He's got a big, big, big-time arm. Um, after the game, at the end of the night, Collinsworth is, is calling for, for Josh Allen as MVP. Well, then you watch the Monday night game, right? And at the end of the Monday night game, they're calling for Lamar Jackson to be MVP. Lamar Jackson. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, these are two completely different guys. Now, Lamar, the extreme athlete, unbelievable athleticism. You're paranoid to see this guy break the pocket. If you're playing defense, you do not want to see him get in the open field. So what did they do the whole night? Rushed four guys, sat back in zone and wanted to see if Lamar Jackson could beat you from the pocket. Well, Lamar Jackson goes 37 to 43 for 440 yards, four or five touchdowns, picking it apart. And and he had time. Now, I'm, I still don't know that he's making – getting through progression reads quickly. You know, when he sees a guy, he's got him. But it's more like he's surveying the field, looking around, finds a guy and gets him the ball. But when it's a four-man rush on, on Lamar Jackson, he's going to have all the time he wants because you are not going to sack him. He's going to slip, move, slide, step up. And, and throw the football. He made some beautiful throws up the field as well. Um, what's so funny to me is to see, especially on his shorter throws, to push the ball with a low elbow and just kind of lean in and, and shovel it to a guy or, or, you know, the, all these things that I was criticized for years and that the athletic quarterback, it's not textbook. You want the elbow high, the ball up over the top. And you know, Tom Brady is just ultimate over the top guy. And Lamar, just like a Patrick Mahomes, is going to get the ball to the guy he's throwing it to, no matter how it takes to get there. The other aspect of this is, and, and with quarterbacks that are that mobile and that athletic, you do not want to just rush for. You want a fifth guy involved in that rush. You want to get a man coverage situation, uh, make him make tight throws and tight windows and get five man push. Even if it's a zone blitz where it's a five man push. You want to get in his face a little, make him uncomfortable in the pocket without allowing him to escape and then try to throw from what looks like a well. Uh, The fear, the fear in doing that for defense, and I say this all the time, that Belichick defended me that way, always with a five-man rush and all athletic quarterbacks, that's his mindset. the fear is that if you break the pocket and do get away from that five-man rush, it's man coverage. All the backs are turned, guys are chasing receivers, and Lamar Jackson's going to take off on an 80-yard run. Lamar Jackson right now is playing for a team that has all kinds of injuries at tailback, banged up on defense, all kinds of guys on IR, and has carried the load. It's like, get on my back, let's go. So when I talk about Josh Allen, when I talk about Lamar Jackson, there's this leadership quality that runs through both of them, of especially critical situations, third downs, goal line, game on the line, trailing, put the ball in my hands. I want to be the guy with the ball in my hand. And especially in my CFL days, and I, I go back and, and guys, will they would say things like, yeah, you get to the end of the game and you start calling quarterback draws and quarterback counter and, and running with the ball more and doing all." And I never really realized that, but I don't know if it's a matter of trust of others or just realizing your athleticism and your ability to get the job done. And that's what these two guys have. These two guys are guys that want the ball in their hands. When the game is on the line, there's a lot of guys that don't want to be at the plate in the ninth inning with runners in scoring position and two outs. They'd rather take the walk and have somebody else go after it. They'd rather be the guy that maybe I'll pitch the seventh inning, but you're the closer. You you take the ninth inning. I don't want to be at the foul line. Don't 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 put me at the foul line with the game on the line. There's those guys that are going to score 30 a night, but they're not going to want to be the guy at the – these two guys want the ball in their hands when the game's being decided. These two guys want the ball in their hands when it's third down – when it's goal line situation and it's really been fun to watch, especially with Lamar Jackson, because he does it in a way that whatever it takes type football, whether it's back, it's which I love to see from my standpoint, they ran the two point conversion to tie the game. The two point conversion was a called quarterback draw with the possibility of throwing to the tight end, right over the middle. He wanted to run it in. He saw the tight end right in front of him, just kind of shoveled to him and, and gives it to him. They get the two points, very instinctive player that just, Uh, you love seeing guys who want to take the game into their own hands. And that's what we're seeing there. Today's guest will be Carson Palmer. And remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on Apple, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. Well, I'd like to welcome my guest, Carson Palmer aboard. Carson's a Heisman Trophy winner, obviously a part of our fraternity, so we've been crossing paths for a while now. And uh, four-time Pro Bowler, Comeback Player of the Year uh, with the Heisman, Orange Bowl MVP, you name it, he did it. Uh, welcome aboard here, Carson, to the Flutie Flakes cast. We've been doing this for a while, had a lot of great quarterbacks on here, so I love talking quarterbacking and, and, and with the guys. Let's talk for a second off the field, though. You're in, you have a new initiative going with Fill the Stadium.
1: Yeah, Phil, the stadium is something that started right when the pandemic happened. Uh, basically, Compassion International is a great uh, charity, huge charity that raises money and sends it all over the world to children that don't have anything in very, very uh, impoverished situations around the planet. And a lot of their revenue was generated at concerts and games and church events. And all, the, all of a sudden, COVID happened. We were all quarantined up. All of those public uh, gathering spaces that were typically great places for them to raise money for these kids were shut down. And so we came up with this concept. All these stadiums were going to be empty. This started uh, last football season. And there were 70,000 is the average size football stadium. And all these stadiums were going to be empty. And the typical family spends, a family of four spends about 400 bucks to go to the game and get tickets, T-shirt, hot dogs, parking space, all of that. And it was uh, a way we were thinking that you, as opposed to spending that money on your family, um, spend that money and donate to fill the stadium initiative. And this initiative, you can sponsor a child, which puts a a child in that supposedly empty stadium. And we were going to try to, uh, we're trying currently to sponsor 70,000 kids. And sponsorship goes to a lot of kids that don't have mothers or fathers. They don't have food, shelter, water, uh, health screenings covid vaccinations, any kind of access to really anything in third world countries. And so it's a great initiative. I'd encourage your listeners to log on to fill the stadium, um, check it out and find a way Every dollar counts, a dollar, $10, whatever it is, if you can donate to help these kids in, in need, that would be fantastic.
0: Well, it kind of puts things in perspective. You know, there's a lot of us that, you know, I, I honestly, I felt like I grew up with nothing and I, I live low income life and I knew what it was like to have electricity turned off for weeks at a time or go a couple of days with, there's, there's a whole nother level that people just don't even realize. And to to be out there helping those individuals and giving them an opportunity to do things and enjoy life is a a fantastic venture. And thank you for doing that, Carl. It's amazing. I
1: appreciate you letting me uh, talk about it and spread the word.
0: Uh, I guess uh, we'll, we'll jump off of what we saw. I, I don't know. The NFL weekend this weekend, they were, I was ranting and raving about how great uh, Josh Allen played and how great Lamar Jackson was last night. What was your takeaway this weekend? What you see out there?
1: Um, well, I watched, I don't know if you had a chance to see the Bengals uh, Packers game. It was just bananas. I mean, I was watching it with my son. And every time a, a kicker came on the field, he was like, there's no way he can miss. There's no way they can miss this one. I was like, you're right. He's like, no, he's going to get fired. Then everybody started feeling bad for both kickers, but man, what a weekend of games. I mean, there's, is this, this starts the season has been so fun. There is so much competition in the NFL league wide right now. I feel like it's rare to get the start to a season. I mean, there's only one team that's undefeated. Normally there's a couple guys that have hung on and, and not been beaten by now. Um, And you know it's just been a super fun start to the season. Kind of everybody's in it right now, which which makes it fun just for our country because you know every just about every state's in it. But just been I've been blown away by how many games have come down to the wire and how few of blowouts there've been.
0: I just I, I I marvel. I go back to the the field goal kicking. It's like yeah, this is this is a lose your job situation now. You've missed two. You missed three. Was there five missed field goals? Six? Then finally game winner.
1: Crosby's one of the best to ever do it and it just an awesome, awesome guy. And I just, my wife was feeling so bad for, her. you know, when you get the wives involved and the wives know how it is on the husbands and that she's, you know, all the kids are asking questions like, why, why? And we're like, you know, he, if he misses this one, you know, they, they might lose their job, you know,
0: <laughs> they're losing their job. The kids got to go change schools. We got to go find another city. Totally.
1: totally. <laughs> But, uh just so so great to see Mason finally just yeah, and then he hits it and it's right down the pipe for the game winner. So I was uh, happy to see him come come through with that winning kick.
0: People don't realize what the wives go through in a game. My wife, you know, my buffalo years especially because I was the starter and you know high pressure situations and go in the playoffs and stuff like that. by the when we were young, She loved every minute of it. She was out hooting and hollering with the family and everything. Towards the end of my career, she's hiding in the ladies' room, doesn't want to watch the fourth quarter. How's your wife handle? She
1: she was the same way. Uh, It's funny. It made me think I was watching that 49er game with Trey Lance, and they kept spanning to Trey Lance's mom and dad sitting in the stands, and his mom was so stressed. Because, I mean, he was, he was running for it on fourth and goal and just sticking his nose up in there and running like a running back. And I just I felt for her. But, I, you know, it's funny when you, when you talk about the wives and just their reaction and, and really their experience in the NFL. You know, at first, when you're 26 and after a game on Sunday and you come home and then Tuesday and Wednesday half your body feels great and you jump up out of bed and they don't see the residual effects yet, But as they see you get older and they see you getting out of bed slower and complaining more and limping around more. And then I I noticed for me, it was late in my career, probably like year 12, 13, 14. I I got knocked out, got knocked unconscious by Aaron Donald. And unfortunately, she came running down out of the stands, met me in the locker room and I I was blacked. I don't remember until the next morning. And so I, I guess she saw some stuff with me in the locker room that just freaked her out. I was just, I was out. Um, and then went to the hospital and then woke up the next day. And ever since then, maybe it was year like 12, 13, and I played three or four more years after that. But ever since that moment, like it got real. Like she, she really started to feel, oh man, like, is, is this going to be an issue later on down the road? When are we, what kind of experiences are we going to have? You know, and then every game after that it was the same. It was like, you know, the first thing on road games, hey, how's your head? How's your body? You know, it, 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 everything changed. Our conversations, um, post-game, worries from, you know, when you're 25, 26, 27, they haven't seen, you know, just how physical and violent the game is. You know, you're going after the game, you're partying, you're going out to dinner, everybody's having fun. And then as you get older, it gets real serious after, hey, you know, we should get home, you get an ice bath, you should do Epsom salt. You got to be up tomorrow. You got to massage, you know, everything changes as you get older and they see you in that state of you're just out of it. You're not yourself.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm picturing, as you're saying these things, I had a concussion. I was 42 years old playing in San Diego at the time and I got slammed and I was the starting quarterback and I did not want to lose my starting. Drew Brees had been drafted that year. Drew came in that game, actually played very well. I made sure they knew I was ready to go this is before all the con- concussion protocol I came back at that point I had some somewhere in the ballpark of 10 touchdowns to one interception through the first whatever weeks of the season the next three weeks I threw eight picks and you know you don't realize how much you're slowing down how much mentally you know what a concussion can do what what you can do mentally and, and how it beat you up long term back in uh 2015 you won comeback player of the year what was the injury you were coming back from then is that the I knee? blew my knee out for a second time uh, about midway through the season. To me, when, when you have an injury, well, I thought when I was young, if I ever had a serious injury that I actually needed surgery for, I'll just call quits and I'll move on. But the first thing that goes through your mind is, how do I get back out on the field? When can I get back out the field? What, what's, what does it take? What was, um, what was your mindset when you had those kinds of injuries?
1: Yeah, I, well, I, I blew my knee out in '09 with uh, an impact injury where somebody hit me low and my knee went the wrong direction. And I woke up out of surgery and was told by the doctor that did the surgery, I wouldn't be able to play again. I wouldn't be able to run again. So I, I had a chip on my shoulder from the jump. I had a carrot dangling out in front of me by him saying that I was like, you want to bet let's go. And so um, my mindset from that was great. Cause I had that motivation. And then, and then what was even better was, the surgeon came out to the media and said the same thing to the media. Like was like, yeah, he's done. And so then all the media people started talking about. It. So I was like, this is great. This is fantastic. Rehab was great. I busted my butt and I came back and started, I, I, I blew that knee out in the playoffs. So in January, you know, mid January. And then my whole goal was to start week one, the next year, which no at that time, nobody was really doing. Um, so I was ultra aggressive with that with that rehab and, and trying to come back for that week 1 game and, and I came back and started that week 1 game. Did it again, I blew out the same knee, a non-contact injury because I used a 3M product, an artificial product to replace my ACL that had blown out in 2009. And so what they didn't know at that time was those 3M products had about a 10-year lifespan. And so I got literally the year 10, I blew my knee out in 6. And then do it again in in 2016. So I was 10 years to the spot, literally. And I was, uh, we were 10 and one, I think. I was in Arizona, and we were rolling. It was probably the best team I was ever on. We were well on our way. We were playing against the Rams at home, and I just dropped back, and boom, that thing expired. And no, nobody touched me, nobody anything. It just it just snapped. And so
0: nope, time's up. There it is, 10 years done. Exactly, it's like clockwork.
1: Um, and so my motivation coming from that was great because I was. I was older at the time. I was 34, 35. And so then I had people say, Oh, he's too old. He can't come back. And so that was great motivation. That, that was all I needed. It was another group of people saying blah, 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 blah. And so I just read it all and I ingested it and fueled my fire. And I came back and had a pro bowl year and we had a really good team and went to the NFC championship game and, and kind of vindicated myself and felt like i've myself because that's all you need i mean you know you need a couple of people just say no or you can't and i had it so I, I was very fortunate in that situation having that kind of ulterior
0: motive to come back stronger than ever it's amazing how that motivates you and i was you know all, all my career i was too short to do what i was doing and i can't make it in the nfl and and i remember hearing steve grogan make, make a comment steve rogan played with the patriots in the 70s and into the 80s um you know that why is doug still playing at 42 43 he's still trying to prove himself he's still trying to tell people that that we're saying no and that's all you need and that's what i had when i came back from the cfl to the to the nfl i had that motivation that chip on my shoulder and it it motivates you on a daily basis you know we talk about all these injuries and we talk about things you got to fight through we talk about you know situational stuff that if you can walk, you play and you're just motivated to get back on the field. And I, it drives me crazy now because I, I sit with people that are putting bets on games or whatever, and they're swearing it. Like when Crosby missed three field goals, right? He doesn't know how his wife is living and dying with every moment and how the, how much time and effort has gone into this. Do you see your buddies or friends, the guys you hang out with when they're watching games, do you see them watching it differently because of fantasy football now?
1: I know they do, but they're real careful around me. Cause they know, you know, you, that's like going, you know, you can't go and tell somebody about their business or, Oh, he should have run a post. Really? You sell insurance. Like, you know, where, where did that come from? Um, so all, all my buddies that I do watch football with, um, they don't really talk. They just want to hear me talk. What, what are they looking at? And I, I love, I, you know, that it, I love watching the game now. I'm a fan. I've always been a fan of the game. Um, and I like, I, I sit there, I've got a 12-year-old son that, that I coach his seventh grade team. And we're watching, you know, uh, coaches' cuts, you know, the vertical and, and the horizontal version so you can see the whole field and see everybody. And so I'm always talking it and, and kind of this is why and that's why and, oh, they're about to do this. And my buddies keep their mouths shut. But it has changed. And, and I, I don't know where I stand in the fantasy football changing the game uh, I mean, there's so much change right now. College guys are getting paid. I mean, everything is just warp speed happened, you know, and 20 years of stuff happened in eight months, but it will, you know, the whole sports betting thing will turn people onto football. It, it'll, it'll broaden the game. It'll stop people from in Boston, just watching the Patriots to tuning into the West coach and watching, watching the, the Cardinals, the Rams and the chargers because they got some sort of vested interest in that game. So I'm all for the game expanding. I'm seeing it shrink. I, I can't stand it. I'm seeing fewer and fewer kids play. So I think we could use something that will generate interest and get more people into the game, although it seems like just about everybody's involved in the game. I'd love to see some more interest, less kids playing soccer and mountain biking riding and more kids playing football.
0: Yeah, so what, what's your take on the uh, college players and the name and likeness thing? Yeah. I mean, I, obviously, you, were, you and I were probably guys that could have really benefited from that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't have changed my experience. It made me who I am. I mean, we scraped by, we lived in a total dump. There was like eight or sometimes 15 of us living in one dumpy house with rats. And I wouldn't I didn't even, we, I shared a room with Matt castle who, you know, Matt,
0: um, Yeah, know Matt. All. we
1: shared a room and Paula Mala was above us. And Kerry Colbert was like on the other side of a paper wall. I mean, it was, it, it we made it work. And, um, we appreciated that stipend check, man. That $700 a month stipend check was huge because it paid for, you know, half of it went to our rent, the other half, you know, and I just can't imagine putting myself in that position with like real money in my pocket at that time. So I, I have a difficult time with it. I personally wouldn't have traded anything because that's part of me, who I am today, but the flip side, I get it. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying they shouldn't, I get it. I mean, you're seeing these coaches in these universities, Pull in a lot of money. I, my, my biggest fear is, so So my younger brother went to UTEP, University of Texas, El Paso. Every once in a while, they'll get a player that was kind of being recruited by Texas A&M or Texas or, you know, Houston. And, and I worry about schools like that, like schools like Boise State. I, I live not far from Boise State. And when Boise State and UTEP have to compete with the alumni and the money available in bigger cities, maybe – maybe bigger, you know, donors. However that all works cuz who knows how that money's going to change hands now? I mean, there's no way to patrol it now. The Alabamas, the Clemsons, the USC's, the Stanfords, the, all those schools with massive endowments, Boston College, they're going to have a better crack at getting kids that are looking at UTEP or Boise State or another school that, you know, Marshall or, you know, a smaller school that doesn't have that same kind of funding. And I just worry that the discrepancy between the level of players they're able to recruit gets, that margin gets wider and wider, you know. But like I said, I mean, I I, I wouldn't change my experience. I'm, assu- I'm assuming you're in the same boat. I mean, you look back at what you went through at BC. I mean, you, that's part of who you are. That's part of what was ingrained in you at that time, I would assume.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I wouldn't change anything for the world from my experience. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it can create the haves and have-nots even to a more extent than it is. I mean, we still see... We see Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State at the top of the list every year, and it's going to, I think, continue that. You know, there's going to be this elite group of schools that have the ability to get the guys they want and promise them certain endorsements. You know, all the power to the kid to be able to put some money in his pocket, but like you said, be 18 to 20 years old and have a a good size check somewhere in your account and be able to. I, it, it, that's a little scary as far as um, what
1: would you have you know, done? campus like? What life. would you have done in college with like? 10 grand in the bank. And you know, like that 10 grand could probably get replenished like next month. I mean, can you imagine what you had done in college?
0: Uh, yeah. You know what? You start buying stuff. You start, you start buying stuff. You don't need that actually probably cost you more money in the long run. And, and cause I mean, I had nothing going in the car. Co- I, I said this one before on the podcast, like I was so happy when I got to college that I got three real meals a day and I could eat when I wanted to. That was like a, Big deal to me. I didn't need twenty bucks in my pocket to go to dinner, or I didn't need twenty bucks to go to a movie. I didn't. Everything I needed was on campus to me. I did. I couldn't imagine having having the extra cash in my pocket at that time. No doubt. How's USC looking this year, and what's what's their situation? Or are you still close with this? Yeah, game? yeah, uh,
1: it's a struggle. I mean, we're just in a weird phase right now. I, I just was at the game this last Saturday. We got blown out by Utah, which hadn't happened since like nineteen twenty nine. So we're, we're, you know, it's a struggle. Um, you know, there's some silver lining. I mean, we we are in a good position by opening up our, our head coaching vacancy when we did, which was a couple of weeks ago, they've already started betting. They've already started working it. Word is out. I mean, there's no, there's some NFL guys that are talking about it and looking at it. I'm sure being open this early, there's some maybe some retired guys that took a step back from the game that are bigger names that are, that are talking about it. And, You know, it's not a rush decision. You fire a coach after the season and then all of a sudden people start thinking about this job is being thought out, thought about right now from the NFL to the college rankings. I think it's one of the top two or three most attractive jobs um, in the country. You know, you've got history, you've got tradition, you play at the Coliseum. They just revamped the Coliseum. They totally redid all the facilities. The weight room is up on, you know, on par with all the SEC schools. And we're in Los Angeles I mean, there, I, I can't tell you how many guys I played with in the NFL that would come up to me from Florida or Georgia or Ohio or uh, somewhere in New England and just be like, man, I wish SC would have. what was it like, you know, how was it? So there's an intrigue. Kids want to be in L.A. I mean, you're right down the street from the Staples Center where the, you know, the Lake show is and LeBron and Hollywood. And, you know, there's all that, which can be distractions. And it's not for everybody. It's not for every coach. It's, it's going to take a very specific type of coach. You gotta be able to deal with powerful boosters, some of the most powerful men and women in business. You got to deal with the LA media. There's no slipping into press conferences with 15 men and women and there's every press conference is 150 deep. You've got expectations. Pete Carroll set the bar as high as you could set a bar. I mean that that's what people expect. That's what the Trojan alumni expect. It's just a polarizing position. You know, so so there's a lot of hair on this job. It's not For everybody, Um, it takes a very special and unique individual. But I just like our positioning. I like where we are in the hiring process. You know, we've got, you know, a good young quarterback in Jackson Dart that a coach that's elsewhere can get excited about. They've had good recruiting classes. They just haven't performed and executed. So, I mean, it's it's I think it's an intriguing intriguing job. I think it's worthy of a look from just about anybody and everybody out there. Um, So I'm excited to see who we end up hiring.
0: Well, along the college football ranks, uh, congratulations on the induction to the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, It's really exciting stuff. And uh, what's it mean to you?
1: You know, I I don't know how you felt going to college, but I never it never crossed my mind. Like, you know, when I was 18 and I got to USC, I was thinking about a Pac-10 championship. It was a Pac-10 back then. But I was thinking about, you know, a national championship. I was thinking about being an All-American, you know, Heisman Trophy. It was never fathomable to think, Oh, and the hall of fame is on that list. I just didn't, for whatever reason, you just don't at 18, you don't think that I didn't at least. And then I played and, and I got done and I looked back, you know, statistically where I sat and I remember thinking, you know, may, maybe I'll get in. I hope I, I hope I have a shot. And then when you actually get the call and, and they let you know, it just, it kind of blows your mind. I mean, honestly, I was like, wow. And then you hear all the stats. I was rattled off like less than 0.1% of all college football players make it you know, it's, it's a unique and tight fraternity of of um, the best to ever do it. And I'm just truly humbled and really mind blown by it.
0: Fantastic. Congratulations Thank on you. that. And, uh, you know, for me, yeah, when I went to college, I was just happy to get a division one. I. I had one division one so I was just happy to be in uniform and things work out. So it, it is a different mindset when you're first going in. Thank you for being my guest, Carson. And thanks for your input. Good luck with your endeavors and, and filling those stadiums. And Thanks for all you're doing off the field. Doug,
1: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. And, and thanks for letting me talk about fill the Stadium. I appreciate the time.
0: Well, I want to thank Carson Palmer for joining me. A lot of fun talking with Carson, the whole Heisman uh, connection there. We all kind of feel like a fraternity, so. Uh, it's it's cool to uh, talk to fellow Heisman winners. Uh, the one other aspect I wanted to get into today was uh, you know how dominant Alabama has been and how great they are in that football program. This weekend against Texas A and M, just a heck of a football game where both teams took the ball the length of the field in crucial situations to to try to win the game, but. But the game comes down the wire and both teams are marching the ball the length of the field and and doing whatever it took to win the football game. But it was Texas A&M's quarterback, Zach Calzada, that just amazed me. He delivered. He was standing in the pocket. He made his plays. He's, He's making plays throughout to try to win this football game. He stands in the pocket to deliver the big touchdown over the top and he gets hit in the knee. And now it looks like he had, a. Net, to me, kid from the outside looked like he was going to have a bad MCL sprain or tear, and he was done. He needs to be helped off the field. He comes back out and puts together a drive to go down and win the ball game. He comes back. You know, it's it's a toughness that you saw Justin Fields last year in the playoffs, um, in the college football playoffs. It's a toughness that I think only, only athletes understand, uh, that you really – all the time and effort you put in with your teammates during the offseason, whether it's your offseason training programs, your two-a-days, your the hours spent on film, all that, you do not want to be on the sideline when the game is being decided. You want the ball in your hands. And he wanted He gets back out there, delivering the ball, moving him moving up the field. He even took off and had a nice first down run uh, for about 10 to 15 yards, which was crucial in the drive to go down and kick the game-winning field goal. And it just shows – what athletes can do. And you never know what you're capable of as an athlete. You really don't until you're in those situations, playing hurt, playing in uh pressure situations, playing on a national stage and all these things are happening. And then you're thrown on top of that, that you get hurt. You just, you just reach down deeper and find a way to get it done. And that's what he did. He moved them down. They wind up kicking the field goal. Um, Small, the name of the kicker, uh, Seth Small, uh, he actually did. Boston College beat Notre Dame way back when Notre Dame was number one in the country and kicked a field goal at the end of the game. And this was exactly the same. It was a pull slice. All you golfers know what I'm talking about. You yank it left, but it pull, it starts slicing back, ends up right down the middle. And that's what it looked like to me for Seth Small. But it went right through the middle of the goalpost and a, a huge win for Texas A&M and delivering a loss to Alabama. Well, thanks again. I'm Doug Flutie. Thank you for joining me today and uh, listening to the Flutie Flakes cast. And remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on Apple, Pandora, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to rate and review the Flutie Flakes cast is a part of the Sirius XM podcast network. The executive producer is Tom Kress. The associate producers are Chris Tyler and Denny Gallagher. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. XM. Special thanks to SiriusXM XM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. And we will see you next week. SiriusXM XM Podcasts.